Good morning. In case we haven't met, my name is Jeff Ludington, and I actually work here. You wouldn't know that by the last few weeks, but uh, let me open this up. So we're going to pick up right where David was reading from in 1 Peter. So if you guys would turn there, if you have a Bible there on the seat in front of you, if you're using our church app, whatever works, would you turn there? Uh, and we are, of course, since we're in 1 Peter, we're clearly working our way through the Old Testament, right? <laughs> Sorry. All right, so we are working our way through the Bible. We started a little, about a year ago, roughly a year ago, and coming uh, into COVID, kind of as that season hit, and and we were uh, moved online only. So for those that are live streaming, we'll love you. I heard, I heard Sharon say, welcome. We're glad you're here. For those of you who are here in the flesh in three dimensions, I'm glad you're here. Somebody, it seems like each week I see somebody I haven't seen in like over a year. It's really cool, so I appreciate that. Um, we, we saw a hole in the church, if you will. We saw a gap in Christianity. And, and when... When COVID hit, so when, let me, I just, wherever you are on that, when a pandemic hits, my hopes would be, and I think your hopes also would be that the church would be a part of the solution, right? That when something happens, that the church would rise to the occasion and be a solution for people, clearly not a part of the problem, right? And what we found was uh, that there was not one unified voice in the church, that the church was not really a part of the solution. In fact, the church, and, and, and this is, I, I can only at this for today speak to the church in America, uh, the church in, you know, Sudan or China. Those, those are different settings, right? But the church in America struggled. And there wasn't a unified voice, and there wasn't a unified response. In fact, there was a lot of fighting, right? And the topic that we look at today is, is one reason for that. Now, I want you to write this down. This isn't in your notes anywhere. And uh, all my notes and then the passages, all this stuff. So I don't see any pins. Get a pin. Like, I saw two pins. All right. I'm watching you, Brooke. All right. So, all right. Thank you, Junior. I appreciate that. So, uh, well, let me, now that you got, now I've made a big deal out of it. Okay, here it is. Ready? America. No? Okay, so we'll come back. Be, you know, we... Oh, thank you. Whew. Good news, we can move on. All right, so America can never give you. America can never give you. Thank you, Kevin, your oral tradition. I appreciate that. That which only God can give you. America can never give you that which only God can give you. Right? And here's the good news. You don't have to write this part down. I think you remember this. The good news is America can't take it away either. Okay, it's about 35 years ago this month uh, that a 17-year-old drug-using pain in the butt, in case we're unclear, it's me, uh, <clears throat> who had gone to five high schools in three years and got kicked out of most of them, enlisted in the Army, right? My host, in fact, my first chosen career was the Army. Now, before you, before you oversell that, it didn't work out. And, and a few months in, with some medical issues, I had to leave the Army. And so I was bummed. That was my first chosen career. And I chose that because I, <laughs> I knew I needed the help, right? Clearly, what I needed was Jesus, and the Army was never going to be my Savior. But we live in a nation that is worth fighting for and worth defending. The place where we live is good. But we can never get 
from it that which only God can give. It's like I can never get things from my wife which can only be derived from God. That, that love that God gives or that, that support, that, that empowerment that God gives, I can't expect that from my wife or the church staff or whatever. It's only from God. So we're working our way through the Old Testament. That's where I was going before I sidetracked. I wanted you to write that down. That's my ADD hard at work. And so here we are going through the Old Testament. We took the Torah and our community groups, read through the first five books of the Bible, and we studied Exodus, right? And then we did the rise and fall of Israel and the prophets before the exile in our community groups, and we studied First and Second Samuel. Next week, we will pick up in a wisdom book. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes for a short time. We will jump then into the prophet Daniel, who exists during the exile, and then into the release, where Israel gets to go back to their homes. And we will look at Ezra and Nehemiah as we wrap up the year. And if you just heard me say that, yes, this year we will cover all those things as we lean into the rest of this year. We will wrap up a summary of the Old Testament, all right? Now, if you go back before that, we spent a little over a year, including some of the time in COVID, in Isaiah. Now, that's the prophet both who predicted the exile, warned of the exile, and then stops talking, seals up his writing for 100 years, and then talks about the return out of exile. So he's a great premise to this. You can go back, YouTube or, or whatever you use, and listen to those messages as kind of a, a fill-in, some of the backstory, if you will. So today, it's just kind of a one-off coming in off of vacation. By the way, it's the first time I've worn long pants in five or six weeks. <laughs> so I'm not happy about it, to be honest with you, man. My <laughs> calves are on fire, and I'm going to die. Anyhow, so okay. I was going to wear my, my American flag board shorts, but I thought that wouldn't be appropriate. So here we are. All right. So one-off message today. All that stuff's just because I've been on vacation. I have no control up here now, right? Okay, so here's the main idea. Born again in Christ. Peter quotes the teachings of Jesus that Christians are born again. True faith means new life and a new purpose in Christ. True faith means a new life and a new purpose in Christ. We just heard David read... Be holy, for I am holy. You guys are exiles and sojourners, Peter said. Right? So be holy. You're born again. We're going to hear some of that repeated today. So here we are, First Peter. I'm going to pick up in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Peter says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So I didn't want to start on a, here's how you're messing everything up. So we're going to go to verse 2. All right. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? If you have a true faith, and here's what I want you to do. And we'll, we'll ignore the don't do's for a second. And we'll look at this call to long for pure spiritual milk, he says. So, Think newborn infants, right? And when we come to faith, if you, like I was, uh, I gotta think now, I was 28 years old when I came to faith, all right? And when we come to faith, especially if we're an adult or if we're later in life or whatever it might look like, we kind of equate our spiritual life with our physical life, and we think of ourselves as, in my case, 28-year-old Christians at the time, right? But really, I was a 28-year-old human and a brand new infant baby Christian. Does that make sense? right? We try and parallel those things and think, okay, well, because 
I'm now this age, you know, that I have this much with it. Well, but still, first day with Jesus, brand new, right? Long for pure spiritual milk. Think nursing infant, right? Breast milk. I don't know if all, I know, I know this is public, but I don't know if you guys all got this. So Matt and Justine had their baby, right? So I think, was it Friday or Thursday? So Thursday. So super cool. What? Tuesday. We're not going to argue about it in church, right? But it was totally not Tuesday. Anyhow, so uh, it might be. But anyhow, so yeah, super exciting, right? Infant, nutrition, nursing, spiritual milk. I want you to think of that. All, all those things that a baby needs. You guys can stop arguing about Tuesday or Thursday, just for the record. All right, so um, I know. I'm just going to ignore them. Anyhow, so we need to be built up. We need to be nourished in the things that we don't have. Now, we don't do really well with that. I will say the church in America is not really good at maturing Christians. The proof for the last year and a half, if I'm honest, right? That there's so much struggle. There's no unified voice. That there's just such a diversity of opinion. And, and there's just this plethora of voice from the church, right? All over the places, infighting, arguing that if there was some level of maturity, we'd be in a different place, right? The church isn't very good at, and you're the recipients of what the church does, not just this church, but I will say I don't think we're much different than the church down the street. Right now, the church down the street that closed during coronavirus, we were just positioned better for it, right? It's one of those I'd rather be lucky than good kind of things, right? I wish I could say, oh, we totally knew what we were doing, but we weren't. I mean, we, we we got some things right, and by the, the grace of God, here we are, and we grew through coronavirus, right? Other churches closed. Other churches struggled. People had to lay off employees. We actually got to hire some people. So we were fortunate. And again, not because we did a whole lot right. We were positioned well for things. We've been live streaming for years. Well, that helped, right? That allowed us to do that. I've been using Zoom for the last decade I'd like to not use it again, but at this point, right? But I was very familiar, so it was easy. So we were able to get through things, right? We were able to pivot towards things fairly well. And we had great leaders, Joe, who is no longer on staff, but uh, who is a part of our worship team, led us in worship through that and just did amazing. Man, we just pivoted. We were able to do that. But maturity is lacking. So just the church down the street that closed, and I have some good friends that closed down churches, Right? I don't think our Christians are any more mature necessarily than the church that struggled or the church that closed. Sometimes it's just right place, right time, and the way you're focused. And, and sometimes it is leadership decisions. And our elders worked hard to turn us into the things that we needed to do and embrace those and figure them out, right? And so sometimes that's what it is, but I don't think we're any deeper, more mature. And so I want to put this on the screen. So Born again requires new maturity. When we think of our new life in Jesus, we tend to equate our current age of maturity made new, right? Like I'm a new 28-year-old, I'm a new 50-year-old, I'm a new 75-year-old, whatever. I'm not 75, just for the record. Okay, so don't tweet that. Anyhow, right? So we think of that made new rather than imagining ourselves beginning in infancy. And I want to I pivot that today towards thinking in infancy. And so what does that mean, right? That, mean, that might mean a, a, you know, a full-grown adult who comes to faith versus like a family, like being raised in a family since you're born in the faith. Like you could have somebody younger 
more mature in their faith than somebody older, right? Like you could have that because it's a maturity level, not necessarily a chronological age. And if we look at that, it's not to say one is more mature than the other. It's to say, okay, I lack maturity and need maturity. I need to grow. We don't look at an infant and have the same expectations, right? And we are probably far more focused on the diet of an infant than we are on a full-grown man. Clearly, because my shirt's looser in the sleeves and tighter in the belly after vacation, right? So we're far more focused when we know nutrition is super valuable, right? That's what Peter's teaching us. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living, meaning Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Jesus, he is now calling a living stone, right? That's a metaphor meaning the foundation of our faith. He is God become flesh as the foundation for who we are and our relationship to God. And then he says, rejected by men. And that's the gospel, that Jesus came down, entered into human flesh, lived the life that you and I were called to live, are called to live, and we have all failed, right? Like terribly, just this morning, right? But Jesus lived it perfectly. And because of that, Jesus could go to the cross and trade his life for our death, right? He could die in our place, forgive our sins, and then his resurrection, as he is in the ground three days and, and dead three days, then he is resurrected. That gives us new life. He ascends back to the throne, being our king, alive today. By the way, the New Testament gospel is focused not on forgiveness in heaven, but on a living Jesus and a transformed life. That Jesus is alive, and that should change us. And so from heaven, Jesus pours out his spirit on us, and the church calls us to being new. A living stone, he says, our foundation. Verse 4, let's read that again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You, uh, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. I don't want to get into all of the holy priesthood, but I will say this. When you read that verse, do you hear that that's you, right? That you're a chosen people, right, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, right? Do you think of that? When you came to faith and you were baptized, I know we had to baptize Amanda. That was super privileged, and now she's singing up here. It's a cool day for me. I'd love to see that, right? We never talk about, okay, so this means now you're entering into this priesthood, right? Like, we don't use that language at all. But Peter does. He clearly has a message for us in that. What he's saying is now Jesus is a living stone. Now you are living stones. Now you are being built up. You're added to the foundation. You're the next brick in the wall, if you will. Yes, I can't say that without hearing Pink Floyd, just for the record. Okay, so, all right, for the five of you that know what that means... You're probably a recovering addict. So yes, uh, anyhow, so all right. Now, stones just don't show up perfect, ready to be the next part of the foundation, right? They have to be shaped. They have to be cared for. So you're born again, first image, right? You're born in need of health, in need of maturity, in need of growth. And if we leave you alone, you'll die. And now you're a living stone connected to the living stone for a purpose. And this purpose keeps being built out, right? So here, shaping and preparing, not as changes to you sin or not sin, but as preparation for you to add to a foundation that God is building, 
right? We think of our changes as becoming maybe less sinful or more holy or this, that change this, become this. And we think of that, but think of your preparation. Think of your cultivation. Think of who God is making you as shaping you for his purpose, that he can put you in place. Now you're that next stone in the building, right? He's now shaped you and enabled you and you're strong and you're capable to be that part, right? Here's a note for you. Images of stones for a building. Building materials, stone, brick, wood, whatever you use, right? Don't start out usable, but are formed, shaped into usable material. We need to be shaped into usable people, right? I think of wood. I, I, was, I was in carpentry before, obviously, before I was in Christianry, uh, so whatever that is. Anyhow, so, but you know, you get these, these two by four studs if you're building a wall, you get these eight foot studs or whatever you've got, right? And they come and they're nice and they're square and they're usable. And when you've got a pallet full of them, you're making sure you don't get some twisted board so it's usable and all that. But they don't come like that. They literally grow on trees, right? And they don't look like that. They have to be shaped and planed and made into these pieces that fit nicely and neatly together and are usable. And that's who we need to be. And it's not about being less sinful and being more, it's being shaped for the purpose that God has for us. Verse six, it says, for it stands in scripture, behold, Peter says, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, right? I am laying a stone, right? Scripture prophesied in the Old Testament before Jesus came talking about Jesus to come. I'm laying a stone as a foundation, God says, right? That, that, that whoever believes in him, the stone, so clearly you're talking about a person, right? In Jesus, will never be put to shame. That when you give your life to Jesus, when, when you receive the fact that he lives sinlessly and you live sinfully, I live sinfully, that he died for me, for you, right? To cover my sin, that he rose from the grave to give us new life, right? That, that in him, I can be different. When we, when we receive that, when we live in that, we believe that when Jesus becomes our king, not just somebody, you know, like we wear a t-shirt or something. When he leads our lives, he says, you'll never be put to shame. He's foundational. He is that chosen, precious, living stone, right? And the gospel is that, that if you follow Jesus, it doesn't say it'll be, life will be perfect, it'll be easy. It'll be filled with struggles, but you will never be put to shame. That eternally you are his. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So he uses this language of a stumbling block. In fact, I heard somebody use this earlier in the week, and it's a very Christianese kind of saying that nobody else would say except Christians for the most part today, right? And another person heard it and was like, I don't even know what that means, right? And so we should qualify that, right? So this living stone that Jesus is has become a stone, something people trip over because they don't understand it. They don't understand how if Jesus is king, if Jesus is eternal, if Jesus is alive, then why did Jesus have to die? Like, I don't understand. It seems counterintuitive to me. Why didn't he come in and just live and conquer and kill the bad guy and be the good guy or whatever? But that's because they don't understand sin or they don't understand their need and that death is the outcome of sin that Jesus takes death on, on our place, right? So it becomes a stumbling block, something they don't understand. 
unfamiliar with God's word or with God or with our need or with Jesus, what he accomplished. He said he doesn't understand. And so I summed it up this way, living stones. The gospel is not about freedom to live a more successful earthly life, but to die to this world and become a foundation for others to enter into the kingdom. So I want you to hear that being living stones is often, okay, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave the metaphor alone. So being a Christian is often put towards people today in the American church as if you say this prayer, Jesus will forgive your sins and you will go to heaven. All true things, the prayer's never found in scripture, but it's a collection of good things in scripture that we talk about. But it's not a magical prayer, but it does recognize I'm sinful, Jesus died for my sins, things like that, right? But it isn't about just forgiveness in heaven. In fact, it's about, in fact, it includes those things, but it's not about them at all. It's about you becoming the next stone and the foundation so that others might see Jesus. It's about a purpose for your life that is eternal and not temporal like this one. And so he said, listen, you're becoming living stones, right? Born again, new life, living stones. You're doing this. You're, you're now joining having this purpose. But in order to do that, it's not about setting you free to be your best you and live your best life and find your truth and every other silly saying we can come up with today, right? It's about you dying to this world. It's about you surrendering everything to follow Jesus for a greater purpose. An eternal purpose, yes, but it starts today. That eternity is now, right? It goes on forever, but we're in eternity, if you will, right? Yes, things will change. I get that we're talking about something else, but now we have a purpose, but it's God's purpose, not our purpose. And so we're being shaped into these living stones, these foundational pieces of the gospel. Verse nine, Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let me pause there. I'll read that again. We hear words in the Bible like holy nation, things like that, and we automatically think Israel, but Peter is not writing to Israel. Peter's writing to the church in a time where it is post-Israel. It is more Gentile than Jew. It is more non-Israel than Israel. He's not writing them. He's saying you, the church, are a chosen people. You are the fulfillment of Israel. Israel was a chosen people to tell the world about the Messiah, to tell them about God, to bring the Messiah to us. Jesus would come from them, but now the church consumes that meaning of Israel. Now we are the ones who are chosen. Now we are the ones who are the messengers. Now we are the ones who are sent to the rest of the world to tell them about Jesus. Here's what he says, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, meaning God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Sometimes we miss that, like we hear who you are, we hear who we want to be and what we want to be and what the Bible's saying about us, but forget, we, we miss the purpose part. Yes, it's true, you're all these things, but you're all these things so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You're changed. You're born again. You're being shaped as a stone. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession for a purpose that you may proclaim 
that God has called you out of being limited to this world and entering into the kingdom that is eternal and God's. That you're being built and shaped for that purpose. So transformation, we'll put this on the screen. Transformation for God's purposes. The modern American gospel is about you going to heaven. The biblical gospel is about you being transformed for God's purposes now and eternally. But that you are being shaped to be a part of something. Right? Talked about the military earlier. You go to boot camp to be shaped to be a soldier or to be whatever branch you join, right? Like to be a Marine, to do whatever, right? You go to be shaped. They tear things down. They rebuild it back up. It's a process. We all hear about it. We all know about it, right? If you've lived through it, you know more about it. But it's for a purpose. Maybe in our faith, we need to see that a bit. Like, hey, when we come to faith, we're not fully shaped. Like we're born again in need. We need to be shaped. Some things need to be torn down. Some things need to be built up, right? But we're doing it not for us, but for a purpose, Like God said to Abraham so long ago in Genesis 12, I will bless you so you can be a blessing to others, right? That I will shape you, bless you, so that not it can just bless you and stay here, but it'll flow through you to the rest of the world. That's us. That needs to be us. I'm not sure that's us today. When a pandemic hits, we should be those people that are so transformed that the blessings of God flow through us to a watching world. I'm not sure that's what happened this last 15, 16, 17 months, right? Instead, the church struggled and then infighting, and then the watching world just kind of laughed. Said, you guys really don't have it together, do you? Instead of us banding together, right? I liked what Sharon said earlier. It's nice to gather with you guys, because this is what we lost. March 15th, 2020. And so that's, we've been calling people that are live streaming, if you're local, right? Come back. Like, this this is the thing we lost. This is the thing we wanted. This is not mandatory, meaning we can't worship without it, but it is what Hebrews calls us to. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more, right, that you can encourage one another, that you can build one another up. And there are people that are live streaming today that are in different states and different parts of the world and and all kinds of things, and that's great. There are people that are homebound and can't come in. That's great. That's what it's for. But if you're here, we want to be with you, right? That the thing we lost, we want to gather back up. That we can be built together for a purpose. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, right? We've been transformed. Like once you were not, but now you are, right? You're different. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Listen, I urge you. And then we always seem to skip to the, hey, what not to do, right? Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Listen to what he says before that. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, again, this isn't the, dis- the, dis- the, the diaspora, the dispersion of Jews. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that are not dispersed. He's writing to people that were born in the place they live, like us. Right? Most of us were probably born here. Some weren't. That's fine. The idea being that here, if you're born here, if this is where you're from, like your birth certificate has this location, Right? You're a soldier. You're just a traveler here. You're in exile. You don't belong here. That you belong somewhere else. 
And this 4th of July, this Independence Day, though we do live in a great nation, we need to identify less with this nation and more with our kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And that will get lost today. That will get lost in churches today. So sojourners and exiles, put this on the screen. On Independence Day, we should not feel at home in this world or this nation. We are God's people with one singular purpose of sharing Jesus with others. That we are being built up so that as long as we are here in this thing that is not our home, even though we were born here, and even though we love it, that we're here for a purpose, that we're here with a mission, right? Think of just coming back from a mission trip to Alaska, right? Just think of that. You're there with a purpose, right? You're there, you have a job to do. Many of you have been on short-term missions trips, right? And, and you, you're, you're, you're there, and you're singularly focused on things you're to do. That's how we should be here. Jesus says it this way in his high priestly prayer, and this, the thing we call where he prays for his disciples then, and he prays for us now. Here's what he says in John 17. He says, I've given them your word, meaning the disciples, and the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I am not of the world. They do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Right, that big Christian sticker and t-shirt company that was popular 15 years ago, not of this world, right, comes right out of this verse. And lots of people put on these NOTW stickers and wore these t-shirts, and, but they still live like they belong here. We got to realize I'm not of this world. That I'm something, I'm born again, born to something new. A living stone being built into something for God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's possession. That doesn't mean you can't live here and participate in this and even appreciate this. You just have to see that above that is who we are. Not where we live, but who we are. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So keep your conduct among outsiders good. Act right, right? Like you need to act right. So that when people see you, it's not a distraction from Jesus, but rather it points people to Jesus. And we'll never be perfect, but I, I will also say this. In our flaws and failures, we can handle them in such ways that we do point to Jesus. Right? We can live out repentance. We can show our flaws and failures. We can not just accept it just when we do something wrong. We can live in such a way that does glorify Jesus even when we fall short, because we will fall short. Because we're living stones being built. We're born again, being nursed to health. Right? We're not perfect. We're not there yet. We just need to embrace that and get there, if you will. He says that may, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Now, Peter's going to have to tell us, how do we do that? Okay, how do, we, how do we live in such a way that people can see us and glorify God? Okay, ready? Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor is supreme or to the governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That can't possibly mean what it says, right? It can't. And we should have skipped this verse, right? I mean, what did, Christian, what did Peter just say to Christians everywhere? Did he just say, like, you should be obedient to secular governors like the emperor, like the emperor of Rome, like Nero, and Domitian, who lit Christians on fire, and governors who extorted them. So he can't possibly mean obey Trump, because he's crazy, or he can't possibly mean Newsom, because he's drunk with power. 
We should just skip the verse, verse 15. All right, so, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Shoot, maybe we got to listen to that thing, huh? He said, you should be obedient. So that when people watching you, ignorant people, people don't understand. They wouldn't be distracted by you. They'd be able to see Jesus. I mean, crap, we've got to go back and read it now. So here we go. All right, so, all right. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to the governors that sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. But Jeff, I mean, they got so far beyond the Constitution that we just didn't have to. I don't actually see any qualifying words in there. Oh, but that, that election should have gone the other way. Great, I don't care. Better yet, Peter didn't seem to care either. He didn't say do it because you like it. He said do it so you're not a distraction from the gospel. He says be different. See, everybody else out there argued about that. Sadly, the church had the same arguments. And then politicians used that to divide people, and we were dumb enough to bite. And hook, line, and sinker, we were just like everybody else. Missing that we serve a purpose that's greater. So we had a missed opportunity. We'll put this on the screen. During one of the greatest crises of our lives, the church failed to serve others. Instead of loving others more than ourselves, we argued about our freedoms. We argued about whether this leader or that leader had the right to do what they did. And I will be super honest with you, they didn't have the right to do what they did. And the Supreme Court has since weighed in on much of that. But in the meantime, our job is not to do that. Our job is to live lives that don't distract from the gospel. And we didn't do it. We didn't do very well at that. Some did, some didn't. We tried. We are no different than the church down the street who succeeded or didn't succeed. We suffer with the same chronic struggles. We're not much more mature or healthy than the church down the street. Again, God blessed us and used us in that moment, but it wasn't because of our goodness. It was for Christ's fame and glory. We just get to go along for the ride. We could have been so different. We're going to spend the rest of this year and probably some of 2022. I'm not trying to think what number we are on, right? Just since a blur over the last year and a half. We're going to spend some time asking the question, what is a church? What should a church be? Who are we as the church? Because we all kind of, even knowing better, thought, well, it's a building and a Sunday gathering, it's this worship service, it's when Jeff talks for too long, and whatever, right? We all fell into that area. But what is a church? Who are we within that church? What are we going to do with it? How do we change that? So that if another pandemic, another crisis, or a resurgence of this one, whatever it might be, happens that we're in a better place. I want to spend time on that. So here's what Peter says. Verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
I skipped a verse. Verse 16 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I couldn't be any clearer. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I found that Christianity in general, churches specifically, when they championed their freedom, it just seemed like they wanted to, they, they used it as an excuse to do what they wanted to do anyhow. We want to keep meeting or we don't want to not meet or whatever we want to do. It seemed that it was never like their freedom was calling them away from what they really wanted. It always seems like their freedom was always calling to what they most wanted. Never let your freedom be a cover-up for evil. And he summarizes by saying this. And he gives us four things. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Love your neighbor. That's what he's saying. Right? Love your neighbor. Live in such a way that your neighbor is more important than you are. Right? We're terrible at that because we're sinful, selfish human beings. All of us. Right? Honor everyone. Live in such a way where others matter more than you do. If that means wear a mask, even if you think they're dumb and don't work, wear a mask. Seriously, in America, we don't suffer very well, by the way. Just for the record, like when masks are our suffering and persecution, we've got a whole lot to learn. None of you would make it in prison, I'm promising you. Okay, so <laughs> honor other people, love the brotherhood. He's talking about love the church around you. Like lean into your church. Those of us that survived the best during COVID leaned into the church. We found our church on Zoom and in living rooms and in smaller settings when we couldn't do this, Right? And we, we appreciated this, and we live-streamed this, and we gathered best we could, and we sang in our living rooms and did what we had to do, but loved the church. He says, fear God. Last week, John talked about fear, actual fear. Like, fear the one who can send you to hell. Fear God. Like, fear. Not just respect, not just honor. Fear God. Let that strike fear into you. Not whether or not you're going to lose your Second Amendment rights, or you're going to this, or you're going to that, or was this thing rigged, or was it not. Well, fear all that. Fear God, he says. Then he says this, circles back, honor the government. That's the hard one, right? Honor the emperor. By the way, the emperor was way worse. I don't care who you voted for, Biden, Trump. I don't care who you voted for. Newsom, not Newsom. Emperor was worse, just so we're clear. He was worse than all the people I didn't vote for. Honor them. Act right. Love people. Love your church. Fear God. Honor the government. Do your, do, don't get in the way of the gospel. Live in such a way where you're not a distraction from the message of Jesus who loves them. But right now they can't see it because all they can see is you, the distraction. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for just doing what you want to do. He says, you are free. We are free. We're not free because the Constitution says so. I mean, just look at the last year. Let's just be honest, right? We're free because Christ died and set us free. We're freer than other places. Don't get me wrong. But America, the Constitution, the government, the whatever, they cannot give us that which only can come from God. And the good news is, they also can't take it away. They can't take away my freedom because my freedom is rooted in Christ. They can't take away the church because the church is rooted in Jesus, not a building, not a gathering. They can't take it away. We have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you because you have satisfied all of this. 
You've set us free eternally. We don't have to worry. We can be socially uh, active and, and engaged. We can, we can study and vote. We can, we can play our role. We can serve in the military, serve in the government. We can do these things or not. But we can't treat them as if that's what gives us our freedom. We can't treat them as if that trumps what you have told us. No freedom granted to me by a constitution signed by men is stronger than the words you have given me by your spirit, through your scriptures, through your son, Jesus, who has rescued us. So we have freedom to surrender to these things knowing they don't control us. We can worship anywhere we want to because we live in an amazing time where video and, and internet exist. We can gather in living rooms, we can gather in neighborhoods, we can gather online, we can do all kinds of things. And no one can take that away. Let us live in such a way where we're not a distraction to the gospel, Lord. Help us to live in such ways where we imitate you, Jesus. Help us live lives that don't undermine our speech of the gospel, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.